Hello, everyone, and welcome to a podcast. We are in the Book of Hebrews at Central Heights Church, and we thought it'd be really good to have this additional opportunity uh, for you to hear about some of the things we're talking about in Hebrews. Uh, A couple of special guests today. I want to welcome Brian Bourne. Brian, welcome. Uh, Brian is the president of CBC, Columbia Bible College here in Abbotsford. Uh, Jesse Wilson is the pastor of discipleship and communications here at Central Heights Church. Welcome, Jesse. Um, yeah, we uh, last Sunday at our church, we looked at, in part, Hebrews chapter 6, and in particular, in the first couple of verses, it talks about these elementary teachings of Christ. And we thought, wow, we skipped through that pretty quickly. It thought it would be great to dive a little deeper into that. I I picked the two best thinking minds I could think of on the planet. And so here we are, the three of us. Uh, I'm going to read the text and then uh, maybe talk a little bit about the context and then we'll dive in. I hope that sounds good to you guys. So let's sounds begin good. there. This is Hebrews chapter six. I'm going to start at uh, verse five or chapter five, verse 11, though and then take it to verse 3 of chapter 6. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying out of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So the the context that we've talked about in general with Hebrews is this is most likely um, an exhortation as it's called written to Christians, primarily Jewish Christians, who have experienced persecution, are looking at experiencing persecution again, and it's uh, it's a real test of their faith, and perhaps tent- tempting them to go back to Judaism. And um, so he's talked to them already about um, the supremacy of Jesus as the Son of God, the Son of God who became human flesh for us. Uh, he's the great high priest. And as he, as he talks about that, he mentions um, the name of Melchizedek, and, and he's going to dive into that further. But before he does, he interrupts this because he wants to correct them really about their maturity. And in the midst of that, he talks to them about going further in their faith towards maturity, not leaving uh, or, or going on from this foundation of elementary doctrines. And we really want to dive into that. And so I guess... Uh, do you want to add anything to that context? Have I missed something that you think is important? I think that covers it, Tim. Yeah, you you ten out of ten. All right. Yeah. Right. Anyways, okay. So my first question, and I think this is so great to have you two guys in this chat, is Brian. You 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 lead a Bible college that has a lot of young adults that come, you know, to to be educated, to learn. Um, as you as you experience experience them coming in and you've been doing this for a number of years um you know we're talking about elementary teachings of christ how how well do people even know these basic maybe we'd call them abcs 
Um, how well do they know that as they're stepping into Bible college? What has your experience been? Has it changed over the years? Yeah, I'd love to hear your feedback. Well, thanks, Tim. Um, I would definitely say it has changed through the years. Uh, you know, especially as I've talked, my own experience is my 19th year at the college. Um, we have a few profs that have been here a very long time, one in particular over 30 years teaching uh, in the area of Old Testament. Um, and, and he's often commented, as has been my experience as well, that students don't come in uh, to the college as they once did with a fairly, you know, basic understanding but you know they 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 have studied the bible whether it was through sunday school youth group in their homes with their parents all of those kind of things they had a kind of at least a rudimentary knowledge of the biblical story and and that's not nearly as common as it once was we for sure still get you know a number of students who come in who They've studied quite a bit on their own, read a lot of the Bible, but I would definitely say that um, that number of students has decreased through the years, and there's there's a lot less biblical knowledge than there once was. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's problematic, actually. It, it's really forced us to think about, okay, how do we teach at the college? You can't assume a certain base level knowledge, as you put it, like a, the ABCs of the faith, or even just the kind of basic overview of the biblical story is no longer present um, as it once was. Yeah. Interesting. Jesse, what's been your experience? Yeah, I appreciate those insights too, Brian. I, I I don't know that my experience would be much different uh, in in the church context or even previously in in youth ministry. And I, I I think biblical literacy has been maybe on church leadership radar for a while mm-hmm. or college leadership radar for a while. And what's what's the baseline? Uh, how high is how high is the bar? I I think maybe one thing I would add to to comment a little bit further is it's one thing to actually have you know, an idea of the story or the elementary principles of the faith, these these doctrines we're going to talk about today. But it's another thing to not just know them, but to articulate them and then mm-hmm. to pass them on. And I think that's actually increasingly where I'm concerned is, okay, yeah, we have to make sure people know these things, but not just be able to complete sort of a multiple choice quiz on what they <laughs> are. Like there's there's also this this urgency to pass them on and to influence others with them and to and to make disciples with them, teaching others to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And so I think that's maybe a, a further concern I would have is, wow, how do we actually get people to the point of not just knowing them, uh, but passing them on as well, mm-hmm. being able to articulate them. And so um, that's that's maybe a piece that I'm noticing as well right now. Mm-hmm. That ties right into like the end of chapter five, you know, you ought to be teachers. Right. And I, th- I think it makes a difference even in our learning. If we have an expectation of ourselves, hey, I need to pass this on. I need to be able to teach it to others. We actually listen and we learn differently. So mm. super interesting. Okay, let's um, let's talk about these six basic principles, if you will. Um, is this an exhaustive list? Why these? Love to hear your input on that. I'll let Jesse start. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, you can you can clean up my mess. Right. Well, I, I I'll just maybe I'll just preface it by saying like th- there there probably are other 
other things you might want to include. Maybe the list is even surprising to us when we go, well, I don't know. Would I have put the laying on of hands in there? Would I have put, Mm. you know, washings in there in in the elementary doctrines? Like what about the Trinity? What about some of these other things? And so um, I don't think you'd want to build your whole theology just around, you know, three verses in, in Hebrews chapter six. But I do think having said that, there is a ton in here that, again, if, if we're going to our concern about passing on the faith, wow, um, how much have we mastered even just these six things that uh, the author to the, of, of, the, of this book seems to think are quite foundational to the point of, I'm not even going to go into these. Uh, you, should, you should basically know them. Well, how, how, well have we, how well have we mastered even just these ones? Yeah, it's a really good point, uh, Jesse. I agree. I think you could easily add uh, other other elements into this list. Um, although I will say, interestingly enough, just a few weeks ago in a chapel here at the college, uh, I, 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 I this is going to be my last year at the college. I, I'm, I'm actually really thinking carefully about what are the messages that I want to communicate in the chapels. And uh, I, I entitled my message Lessons from a Farm Boy because I grew up on the farm and just really getting back to the basics. And um, I kind of covered off about four out of the six during that yes. chapel. I, I started on the repentance and faith and then was also looking at this aspect of resurrection and eternal judgment. Um, so I, I think, you know, the other two in the middle, you could debate back and forth and there's a lot i think it contained within those few words so how you know how shallow or how deep we go into each one of those in terms of washings and or baptisms and laying on hands um you could go a fair ways but obviously there are other key uh, doctrines that could be included and i don't think that the author was trying to give us an exhaustive list all right there's there's our answer. <laughs> it is not an exhaustive exhaustive list. Yeah, somehow I think there has to be a connection between their um, Jewishness mm. and the list that he's chosen. Um, yeah. So why don't we let's okay let's go let's go one at a time. We'll take them and let's start with repentance. What is it? Why is it important? Go. <laughs> I'll, I'll jump on in this one right off the bat. Uh, it, first of all, I'd say it's important because it, it, if we get into the, the Gospels, it's just kind of boom, right, right from the get-go. You got John the Baptist preaching this message of repentance, people turning away from sin, turning away from rebellion against God, and turning to Jesus and, and turning to the kingdom of God. Jesus right off the bat what's his first message repent and believe um and then even when we go to the book of acts day of pentecost peter gets up gives this message how does he conclude repent and believe uh so i i go these these two elements there's nothing in the christian life if you haven't this is the start like you you've got to come to a recognition of our need for god um, so these, 
And I think this is an unpopular message. It's always been unpopular in a way, but I think even more so in our culture today, which just wants to tell everyone, you're okay, everything's good kind of thing, um, where we need to recognize that something's broken. And and that's what repentance is really a, a recognition of, is that relationship with God, with, uh, with people, with the world around us. It's broken, and we need to repent of that. Mm. That's good. I like that you I like that you've pointed that it's always been in the story and somehow, you know, maybe we've lost some of that. You mentioned it's in Jesus message right from the start. You know, so if you look in places like Mark one or even, yeah, like all throughout the, the early church, you get, you get into, yeah, the day of Pentecost or you look in chapter 20 and this, this seems like this was the ingredients of, of the message that they had. And, and I like that you comment on the, maybe the unpopularness of it right now, which is unfortunate because what we're seeing even just in this passage in Hebrews, it's, it's a turning away from dead works. So it's, mm-hmm. it's turning away from things that actually are not good for us. Right. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a command, this, this imperative to do this because God has our good in mind. So it's not, it's not something that he's throwing our way uh, to make our life worse. Uh, we're, we're turning away from, from dead things, the way of death. And so, uh, you know, I, I'd want to be reminded that, like this is coming out of God's character. Uh, this, this call to action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I often wonder if um, in not speaking to people about repentance, especially at the beginning, let's say, of you know their decision to follow Christ, and there's no mention of, de- of repentance, whether we actually aren't setting people up for a bit of a dysfunctional um, journey of discipleship, because that's mm-hmm. not been part of their understanding from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, uh, faith. Is it a little more? Is it a little more complicated than you know? Sometimes we understand it to be. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of factors in this, and it you know the way that you've kind of had these um, as dyads or, or couples here of both repentance and faith, and, and I think the two really do go hand in hand. Because uh, especially in in our Western culture, which has taught us to be self-reliant, um, has taught us to be independent, um, you know, you make it on your own, you can you can do it kind of thing, which, you know, there's an aspect of, of that's good. But when it comes to your walk with Christ, um, which is, again, getting back to this repentance from acts that lead to death, um, those acts that lead to death can be both bad, obviously bad, evil, wicked things that hurt us and, and create problems uh, for us personally and in relationships, but they can also be attempts at justifying ourselves and making ourselves look good. Um, you know, the older I get, the more I am aware of these, these words of Jesus, apart from me, you can do nothing. John chapter 15. And that that's faith faith believing that actually with god with christ in us in in us personally as well as as a as a body uh then things change thing you know so i'm this faith in god i i think um like i said I, the older i'm getting the more i realize i need god um i i think too many times in my earlier years uh i 
I would have always said, yeah, I need God. I, I could say all the right things, but, um, you know, as you, you start to see your own weakness, your own failures, your, your own, um, inability to make things happen. I, I think we, we increasingly see it's only through Christ. It's only through God that, uh, that his kingdom will come and, and that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, um, yeah, just that daily, not even daily, it's like minute by minute reliance upon God is just so crucial. If you actually, yeah, if you if you go beyond just the context of the chapter we're in here, you you'll notice like, wow, you this is this is a one time sort of initial step into the faith. Yeah. But then but then you're given a new power source in, in receiving mm. the spirit, which actually then enables you to not just view this as a one-time transaction, but this now becomes sort of a, a way of living. So you're, you're constantly turning away from things that lead to death, but also for talking about faith in, in this little piece here too, uh, I like to think of it as you now have the power to not just look back on one choice you made to, you know, pray a prayer or come forward in some sort of altar call or have some sort of vivid transactional moment with Jesus. But there's this ongoing entrusting of yourself mm and all of who you are to him. There's this ongoing, uh, I like to think of it in this term of fidelity, this right. ongoing entrusting and fidelity to, to God. So sometimes we, sometimes we think of repentance and faith as, well, that was just, you know, that's what we did to get in the door. And then we needed all this other stuff. Well, there's actually a bit more to it in terms of this ongoing help of the spirit to keep us doing that. And, and Hebrews will talk about that beyond just chapter six, uh, you get into, chapter 11 and all these other places of, of what does this lifestyle look like now? So yeah, I like, I like linking them together, but also thinking of them as ongoing realities. Yeah. Jesse, if I can jump in there for half a second, great comment about the presence of the Holy spirit in our lives, um, both to lead us to repentance as well as to um, strengthen our faith. And, and I think this is the whole aspect of transformation you know, transformation into the image of Jesus, transformation in terms of seeing the world changed around us. We need the Holy Spirit. We need uh, Christ's Spirit within us. So great point on that. Mm. I love what you guys are bringing to the table here in our conversation. Uh, and I love that Hebrews, I mean, if you when you read the whole thing, you realize that it, there's a lot of instruction, actually, what faith looks like mm. and, and how we are tested in our faith. Yeah. And um, yeah, so lots to come on that still. Um, I was going to ask the question, you know, repentance and faith. Uh, I mean, right out of the gate, Brian, you, you showed us how they really go together. And um, as we move forward in the next four, uh, would you agree that they should be taken in pairs? Does that sort of seem to make sense? Yeah, I, I think it makes sense to me. Um the next two, I think you could probably split them apart a, a little bit more. But um, I, again, I think it makes, especially because they're more, if you want to use that term ritual, uh, it, more specific uh, to that kind of example than the other ones are. But yeah, makes sense to me that way. Okay. Um so let's dive into instruction about washings, it says in the ESV. Uh, some uh, translate washings as baptisms. Uh, let's, yeah. What is what is that all about? 
Come on, Jesse's the, Jesse's the expert in Jewish, Jewish uh, rituals and those kind of things, right? Oh, I, I'll take a I'll take a swing at it. You can pick up where I leave off. Yeah. You, you point out, Tim, the, you, the word could be uh, translated as baptisms because that's actually what the word is. Uh, teachings about baptisms. That I think we, the problem for scholars has been, well, why is this in the plural? We don't get repeatedly mm-hmm. baptized. So what's what's going on here? And I, I think if you maybe if you do take these two together, the instructions about washing followed by the laying on of hands, you do have this linkage of like, these are, these would have been whatever they mean. They're about the signs and means of people sharing in this new common life of the the Christian community and the Christian uh, family. And so, you know, it it might be, this refers to some sort of inward spiritual cleansing from sins um, as connected to this new covenant that, that Jesus brings um, so baptism would make sense. There's this outward right that reflects that. Um, but this also could be countering as well the, these repeated ceremonial washings of first century Judaism. So if, if that's the case, which I think it probably is, um, you know, baptism then becomes like, now this is this one-time thing um, that that we're doing in this way. And you don't need to keep going on with some of these other practices like would have been typical for for first century jews the problem is is that if you're not immersed in all of this context a lot of what this means and the whole book itself as well it's like wow i've got no frame of reference for what this author is talking about <laughs> you get into chapters eight and nine and, and ten and it's like what where where is all this from so we we are a bit lost sometimes because we just don't know uh some of the spiritual heritage uh that that is, that is quite richly i think connected to this mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Jesse, good words on that one there too, and and I think um, it's interesting when I look at our. I spent a number of years in Southern Africa working with churches down there, and and um, interestingly enough, washings, um, multiple baptisms was a pretty regular feature actually in a lot of the churches that we worked with in Southern Africa. And and some, I'm sure some of our listeners here today would be familiar with the story of Naaman. Uh, who went to the Jordan of R- Jordan River and, and was dipped seven times in the water to be cleansed of leprosy. Um, there's lots of examples, as mentioned in the Old Testament, around these ceremonial cleansings. And I, I do think that what the author to the Hebrews was trying to get at here, too, is just to say, do we understand that as... Um, you know, we still use uh, an outward ritual to signify an inward reality. And and if we look at that elementary teaching, I just love the way Paul puts it in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And and I think when we start talking the ABCs of the Christian faith, this is what the writer of the Hebrews would have been saying. You, you, should, you should understand all those rituals in light of what's happened um, through Christ's death and resurrection. I love it's that, also- right? Go ahead, Jesse. Uh, oh, I was going to say, it's also helpful too. Like we've talked already about the repentance and faith piece being so linked, you know, initially in, in the early proclamation of, of the church, well, baptism was also right in there right. as well. 100%. And so to, to separate now, okay, now we've moved on in this podcast. Well, this also would have been very connected in the early messaging too. So there wouldn't have been as often there is in, in North American Christianity now, 
you might have had this repentance and faith moment weeks, months, even years prior to anything to do with baptism. So maybe that's also why it's a bit hard to see some of what you're saying here. Yeah. <clears throat> um, Brian, you talked about an outward ritual, inward reality. And I, I just thought of like going forward a couple of chapters in Hebrews chapter 20, 10 and in verse 22, he says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and mm. our bodies washed with pure water. So, I mean, the writer goes on to make this connection mm. between the outward and inward. So I, I think, I think you're definitely on to something there. Um, Jesse, what you've talked about. Um, yeah. Like, like baptism in particular would have happened, you know, upon confession of faith. And then, you know, I mean, there are, there's these scriptural examples where immediately they laid hands on them and something happened. So let's, let's dive into the laying on of hands. Yeah, again, I think that's uh, clearly for the New Testament Christians, they were picking up on some of these older Jewish practices um, and in being infused with new spiritual reality uh, with the day of Pentecost and the gift of the Holy Spirit coming upon uh, the believers, the followers of Jesus. They, this was a regular practice that they would have laid hands. And we can see in the book of Timothy, actually, there's a few different references there to laying on of hands the Holy and people receiving the Holy Spirit. We find it uh, actually in a number of different places in the book of Acts as well. And, and of course, we still practice it today. And, and I think it's a meaningful practice uh, in so many ways, not a magical one, but a meaningful one mm -hmm. in the sense of just being able to come alongside folks and to, to lay hands and to pray God's blessing, as well as the, the impartation, um, you know, the, the gift of God's grace of his Holy Spirit upon people for, for life, for ministry, for transformation. And, uh, and I, I know in my own life, there have been a few different experiences where people have laid hands on me for healing, um, as well as for, um, you know, for empowerment, for ministry. And those have been really powerful moments in my life. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm going to be so cool to even hear about some of those. Cause as you're talking here, I was, I was reminded of a, of a time years ago now I was being discipled by a, by a Korean man and I was heading off to do some sort of ministry and he, he was aware of this and we were kind of in a small group of guys. And, and he said, I think we should pray for you before you go and do this. And, and this is the first experience I had with this where he, he, he got up and, and it was the laying on of hands as almost like this mm. anointing to go and do ministry yeah. now. And, and there was, I like how you kind of distinguish the magical and the meaningful. Well, I mm -hmm. think there, there was something meaningful there because now it's like you're being sent out by your, by your community, all, all other people yeah. who, you know, are, are ministering to you who, who are empowered by the spirit and now, you know, asking that same spirit to be, you know, we're not going to be physically with this person. So mm. we're, we're, we're going to lay hands on to physically connect ourselves to that ministry, even though we won't be there. And yeah, a very, a very powerful experience for me too, as I, as I look back on that. Yeah. yeah I, I often go ahead, go ahead. No, no you, you go, you go first. So then I'll, I'll have a brief thing. No, I, I just had this thought, you know, with COVID and the isolation of people, what we missed out, even what we know scientifically about human touch, like mm -hmm. somehow I think it all links together. And then when you, when it's infused human touch and it's infused with the power of the spirit, 
I think there's something um, there's something very meaningful and transferred in that kind of prayer. I was just going to share the one comment. Um, super meaningful experience in my own life where uh, probably about 15 years ago, I was going through a, a health issue with, with, with one of my eyes that uh, there was an infection. And anyways, I won't get into the details. Um, and it just wasn't getting cleared up. And I was experiencing a whole lot of pain. And uh, one evening, my parents came over who, you know, solid Christians, but pretty conservative. You wouldn't necessarily think of them as being terribly charismatic. <laughs> um, but they came over and, and gathered with our family. And my parents laid hands on me and prayed for my healing. And, uh, and I'll never forget that night. I mean, it was, and it wasn't like I was instantaneously healed, but the sense that God's presence with, was with us and was in that room. I mean, it was, it was really powerful. Mm, beautiful. There's a whole side, you know, maybe podcast or discussion here about, you know, the connection between what we do with our physical bodies yeah. and how that impacts discipleship and life within the Christian community. I think for so much of how I grew up, I, you know, I thought faith in Jesus was so much just what happens in my head, um, yeah. how I'm thinking about this other being and, and how he's shaping my thoughts and whatever, and maybe, maybe my speech uh, and, and some decisions, but, but rarely how I use my physical body. And, you know, we get into, you know, how that impacts worship or prayer or whatever, but here we have this instructions about washing, laying on of hands is very, you can't do those just mentally. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm, that's really good. All right. Let's, let's uh, connect to the next two, uh, the resurrection and uh, judgment. Uh, yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll jump in. I mean, resurrection, again, I'm not that old yet, but I, I guess because I turned 60 this year, I'm thinking a little bit more uh, about the resurrection. Um, obviously, you know, Paul goes through this in 1 Corinthians 15 and says, if, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we're, we're hooped. Like, what's the, what's the point of, of everything, really? Um, the resurrection is at the heart and of course it's tied to the crucifixion you don't have a resurrection without a crucifixion it's it's all linked together in this salvation uh event that took place in christ jesus and, and it's just so much at the heart of the gospel uh i love the fact that actually in the gospel stories we have examples of it, it wasn't just some kind of like jesus came back as a ghost or something like this there's actually stories where it talks about he ate something something mm -hmm. like this is a physical resurrection it's not something that they just dreamed up or like i say you know it's kind of just ghost or or just spiritual thing this was everything so i so it's just so crucial to to our faith i, I don't know how you can put it actually any other way mm. There's like, yeah, there's, there's ethical implications. There's, you know, there's apologetic implications to this. You know, Christianity always has this very, very high view of, of the physical world being, you know, nature mm -hmm. or our actual bodies and something maybe again gets lost a little bit when we start to view faith in Jesus as just this mental exercise. Um, but yeah, the early preachers, they don't, they never preach the good news 
without this message, it's not just Jesus died for you. There's, there's always right. resurrection as part of that. And so it's not just like the solid hope that, that you're talking about, Brian, like to me, I think this is one of my, this is like the primary starting place. If you're going to start talking about, well, what actually gives Christianity a, a hearing at all in, right. in being a viable option for us to entrust our lives to, um, it, I think it starts with, there's, there's a man came back from the dead. What do we do with that? And what's the, what's the, all the interconnected evidence and stuff that, that goes with that. And it's, it's amazing. And imagine, you know, imagine if we kind of kept that at the forefront, you know, the ethical implications, sure. But even just the, the hope implications, like the other, the other day I had, I had some family over and uh, my brother's engaged to be married. And uh, we were trying to convey to our kids, like six and four years old, well, you're going to have a new auntie. And my four-year-old just immediately thinks, well, this is a new auntie because we're replacing another auntie. <laughs> and, and in his mind, as you know, we're trying to raise him with this Christian worldview. The idea of death is, is so much just not the end. He's like, oh, auntie so-and-so died already, hey? Like super casual because in his mind, well, death's not the end. And, and our bodies are, are in the story after this chapter in the story. So um, very, there's so much packed into this little, this little place um, in Hebrews just this, with these words. And I, you know, again, I just want to throw in one other verse here to John, John eleven twenty five. Jesus talking to Martha after, um, you know, the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead and just his words. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then his question, do you believe this? Mm-hmm. You know, this, this really is the gospel question. Do we believe he's the resurrection and the life? Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question around this. Uh, When someone dies in Christ today, now, what happens? Uh, Do they immediately experience the resurrection? So I think there's a lot of misunderstanding (laughs) around this. So So we'll just clear it up. (laughs) (laughs) I I think Paul... Paul says in one point, uh, I think it's in Philippians 1, where he talks about um, that he says, you know, I, I'm willing to die, to, for to die, I would be present with Christ. And um, what that exactly means, um, certainly, I think it's real. So I, I think there's there's an aspect of when a, someone who um, is a Christ follower, right relationship with Christ, dies they're, they're present with Christ. Exactly what that all looks like. Um, I'm not going to speculate too much further than that. I will wait uh, until Christ returns to get full clarity on that side. Um, that's my short answer. So Jesse, what do you think of that? Is that, uh, I don't, was I don't, that an escape clause Brian just used, <laughs> you know? Uh, you know, we we often get characterized when we use uh, biblical verses and say we can't comment further, as if that's a cop out. I think that's actually that's not a cop out. That is that is that is enough. I think for me to to, to say I don't know how that's going to work out, but it's enough. It's enough for now. And without getting too far into the philosophy and you know discussions about how time works, uh, I wouldn't want to eat up too much more on that. I think you did great, Brian. <laughs> All right, but I want to press you guys further. When we die, do we uh, receive our resurrected body right away? Mm. I, I, yeah, I don't think so. 
I, and, and I'll say that because that would imply that there is some other um, physical world out there that we go on to go live in that that physical play, you know, physical place. Um, yeah, that that would be my response. Like I said, I I think we are with Christ, and, and we had all pain and and suffering has ended, and there's. Um, but that's that's not the conclusion of time yet kind of thing so yeah that's how i'd respond i think i think that's a helpful place to get us going like is there a, is there another physical location that that our physical bodies get transported to and if we if we go that way i think what we lose is the fact that when jesus returns he's returning to this earth yeah um so it's this physical location where where heaven is going to going to come and so to to say that there's there's already been a physical resurrection but we know we've buried loved ones and you know there's just no there's no biblical case we can make for that especially in the in the passages about jesus return Uh, he's returning to this earth um and and that's when the dead in christ will will rise so uh, i i would would be hard-pressed to try to build a case for it biblically otherwise Okay, so we receive our resurrected bodies at that point in time. Those who are alive will be transformed, mm-hmm. and those who have died physically will then receive their new, mm-hmm. eternal, I like to call it supercharged, Holy yes! Spirit-charged bodies. <laughs> yeah, and, and Brian, like you said, as we get older, we appreciate that <laughs> all the more. So, Amen. All right, let's go on to... As, um, the way I like to say it, Tim, is I'm going to get my Michael Jordan body. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, there's so much we don't know about that, right? Like I've always wanted to drive race cars. Do I have a body where I can crash yeah, and I just exactly. walk away every time? And, Man. You know? Oh, wow. it's great to We great could spend a long about. time speculating on heaven right now. <laughs> okay, the last one is, uh, he talks about is eternal judgment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I and just like we talked about earlier, that repentance isn't uh, isn't a popular subject in, in today's Western world. Obviously, uh, eternal judgment isn't either, and um, you could almost even say, well, I should I was going to say judgment isn't uh, popular. Actually, it is pretty popular. Um, <laughs> it's just we have different ways of making judgments. But anyways, getting to eternal judgment, um, you know, I, I, I do appreciate, um, you know, you guys, and, and I'm thinking specifically here, Tim and Jesse, and I've heard you referring to this in your preaching and not shying away from the subject when it's come up in the text that you've been preaching on. Um, and and I, I think that, unfortunately, we've done, you know, that's really become a problem in, in a lot of areas of, uh, of the church. And I'm not talking Central Heights, I'm talking about the larger church here, where we've avoided the subject of eternal judgment, because it's, it's painful. It's painful to think about the fact that people that we love and we care about um, may spend eternity uh, separated from God. And, and that's, um, yeah, no one wants to think about that reality, but it is a reality. Uh, and I, I think of, uh, I'll just tell you a really quick story. We really, 
a number of years ago, I was teaching an evangelism class here at the college, and we had a guest speaker, an evangelist who had come over from Vietnam. And uh, he told us a story of sharing the gospel, the good news, with a couple of young men, 18, 19-year-old brothers. And uh, two days later, they were hauled in for questioning by the authorities and uh, were killed. Um, They had only been Christians for two days. And uh, these guys, were they were willing to die for their faith. And in the class, when we were working with the translator, um, you know, one of our students actually asked the question, um, you know, looking back on this and knowing that sharing this this gospel message with these guys was going to lead to their death two days later. Like, do you have any questions about that? You know, kind of a thing. Like, was that a good thing almost? And, and the guy, I just, I'll never forget his response. He, he kind of looked and once the question was translated to him and he looked at the class and he was like, they were going to go to hell. Mm-hmm. unless they accepted faith in Christ. Like they were going to be separated from God for all eternity. It wasn't even a question in his mind around the goodness of sharing the gospel in light of the consequences. And, uh, and I, I, you know, and I look at my own self, my own life and go, do I have that kind of conviction? Am I that concerned for the people in my life, whether it's family, friends, neighbors, whatever the case may be, um, and this is, yeah, I, I think it's it's convicting to us to look at, do we really believe that uh, people outside of faith in Christ that will be eternally separated from God and, and, uh, and experience uh, this judgment? Hmm. There's some good thoughts there, Brian. I think one of the confusing things for me is, especially in working with a lot of the younger generations, is like we live in a time where there's such a desire for justice but yeah. such a repulsion to judgment. And, and that, that to me is, is, is curious. Um, we want wrongs to be righted, but when they, but, but we would like to arbitrate what uh, the, the solution would be. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think to me, there, there's a need to recapture the character of God within this conversation. But what, what, what is, what is it about him mm-hmm. that would, would al- allow him to be best qualified to have the title judge, yeah. um, next to his his name and um i think the other interesting thing here too is uh this is in the list of the elementary essentials mm-hmm. um you know we maybe we like to kind of have it sort of off in the the bonus sections of <laughs> of our discipleship or, or theology maybe nowadays um that's that would seem to be an error um you, know, you read places like john five and jesus and he doesn't shy away from uh, no. from it being regarded as an essential uh, it's actually quite a good thing if we can recapture the character of the one who is the judge um, and why his judgments would be the way they are his judgment is is celebrated all throughout the bible by god's people you look at you see it in the old testament you see it in the last book of the bible like wow like mm-hmm. just and true are your ways <laughs> like yeah like wow we and yet we we're we're kind of embarrassed by it at times when it's so celebrated biblically so um, so much to, to think through on this, but I think where I'm starting off is, is to kind of get people to think through, well, you, you do actually desire justice though. Mm-hmm. Every worldview needs some sort of mechanism for justice. Um, otherwise there is, there's no meaning. Yeah. 
I, I think Jesse, it might have been in one of your sermons here, maybe it was you, Tim, made reference to Miroslav Volf, this uh, mm. theologian uh, from the former Yugoslavia uh, area, and who talks about, and he was actually somewhat liberal on this particular topic until his country went through civil war and he saw the atrocities taking place within his country and came to the recognition that if there's not a God who's going to hold people to account for these incredible evils that have happened, do I even want to worship a mm. God like that who would just let these things go? Um, so you're right. I mean, it does come down to the character of God and God cares, cares for justice. That's part of his compassion, right? His love for this world and, and his desire to see things made right. Um, so there, it, it is good news. Um, doesn't make it easy for for us still to have these conversations but uh it really does come down to to god's who god is and his justice and care for the world mm -hmm. yeah i think wolf said that it takes a western mindset to question god mm. around judgment yeah an eastern mindset would have would struggle with the god who doesn't judge yeah um okay so uh we're trying to help people here with, you know, really setting a foundation. Uh, maybe uh, if you could unpack for us, how does this actually flow? What does the Bible tell us as far as how it's, how judgment, eternal judgment is actually going to play out? Who's judging? How are they judged? What are the consequences? Is there a difference between believer, non-believer? How about it? Yes, I'm going to let you start on this one, and I'll uh, I'll <laughs> fill in blanks if I uh, see sure. any. Sure. <clears throat> one of the first places my mind goes to is um, in the later parts of uh, Matthew's gospel. Uh, if you look in Matthew um, 25, there there always seems to be in, in Jesus' mind there's a moment of of separation, uh, whereby him being the one who's judging. Um, so so it's it's not. It's not a, you know, not going to show up at some court case and other human beings are going to weigh in on it. There's mm -hmm. God as judge. Um, and, and there's going to, there's going to be some sort of verdict whereby there are two different outcomes, um, depending, depending on one's position before God. And so that's, that's always been the biblical witness. I think it gets very, yeah. um, explicit in places like Matthew 25, uh, John chapter five. Um, I mean, it's it's more present than we often think when yeah. we actually take the time to read through these books as a whole and not just kind of cherry pick the nice verses out and and quote them and hold on to them or write songs about them they are this is in the narrative from start to finish if we actually sit down and start to process it you know i think that's it's interesting, Jesse, that you picked passages from the Gospels, right? Because, you know, I talked about some things that weren't popular. What is popular today is that Jesus is my friend. Jesus is going to mm -hmm. just um, affirm me for all my <laughs> decisions or whatever the case may be. Um, but church, Jesus had a lot to say about judgment and about eternal judgment. Uh, again, I take incredible comfort in the fact that it is God who is the judge. Mm -hmm. 
And God is just, he's perfect. You know, it, we're, we've been told that throughout scripture and certainly we've seen that through human history. Um, so, you know, thank goodness that it will be God who is is making the the uh, the judgment call on this. And again, the amazing grace that we have experienced in Christ Jesus. You know, as it says in in Scripture, God doesn't want anyone to perish. And um, you know, the, there's a choice that needs to be made, and every human being is making that choice. So this isn't, um, you know, no one's going to be standing up at the end and say, well, I didn't, you know, I didn't have a choice in this. Actually, we do. Now, we could get into the whole conversation around what about those who've never explicitly heard the gospel. Um what we find, again, Scripture reveals to us is that God has revealed himself, obviously preeminently in Christ and then in his word, um, but even through nature and, and through our human conscious and consciousness and awareness of who God is. And so that, that judgment will be just, and, um, and it will decide. It, it, you know, it, there will be two groups of people, one who will spend eternity with Christ um, and with Christ's people, and others who will spend uh, eternity separated from God. And um, yeah, I, I think, you know, to look at those two, uh, when that will take place is when Christ returns. I don't know if we've answered all of your questions there, Tim. You can fill in a few blanks if we missed something. <laughs> well, maybe just uh, a little more conversation around the difference between a judgment of the believer and, mm. and those who, who aren't believers. Mm. Are you asking in terms of the concept, like what is it going to look like? Or, or, yeah, or... what does it look like? Like how is it different or is it different? Well, it'll be different. I mean, the, the judgment itself will not be. It will be based on the same criteria. Um, but in terms of, as it says in Matthew chapter 25, you know, that, that they will be with Christ and, and with his people. And, and, and again, through, um, you know, revelation, we have a number of different, uh, pictures there too, of a place where there will no longer be, uh, pain or crying or sickness, evil, sin, all of these things will be eliminated from, uh, from our experience, uh, Whereas for those who have uh, have rejected God, rejected Christ's work on the on the cross and His resurrection, um, there will be eternal separation from God. Uh, what again that will look like exactly? We have lots of images in Scripture that uh, would would certainly paint a painful uh, experience, and um, you know whether. You know, we have these images of, of, of a fiery furnace or these kind of things, whether that's exactly what it's going to look like. Um, that I'm, I'm not sure I'm ready to go there exactly. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I actually think, did a great job in his book, The Great Divorce, where if he, he kind of gave you this picture of if you took all the Christians and, and if you took God obviously out of the picture and just left humanity to itself, the evil and the pain that would be created in the midst of that, um, that, that would be hell. Um, you know, in a sense, we see that to a certain extent in some, you know, war-torn kind of context where it just seems like evil has complete sway and it becomes 
yeah, hell on earth. It, it, but it will, will, you know, it will be even worse than that because there will be no Christian influence whatsoever, no Christ influence. Yeah, I, I like to think of the. I like to think of well, what does the work of Christ do to change that verdict now? And you think of Romans mm-hmm. eight with there's therefore now no condemnation uh, for those who are in Christ. There's this adoption into you know the family of God. Or you think of Romans five and God's love has been poured into our hearts. Like all of these things, like it it changes the game for us now. Um, because of because of Christ and and maybe it's hard to to shy or maybe it's easy uh, to shy away from things like eternal punishment like that's that's the the terminology but I think it comes from this place of well we start to question is that fair um, mm. and that's why we don't like talking about it and uh, as if as if somebody accidentally will end up punished in the end and yeah. well what how how does that fit with the character of God so. Um, you know, it's not like, it's not as if God is unaware of, of each person's, uh, you know, place in life. Uh, he cares far more about every human being than we, we ever could. Um, and so bound up in some of the most popular verses like John three sixteen. here's the good news. The bad news is also in there. I still love the world and I don't want anyone to, to perish. So, um, thinking through who God is and then also, you know, what has happened to, to those who have come to faith in Jesus? Like, maybe just go places like Ephesians 1 or something and see, here's already now what's true of you um, ahead of any sort of end moment of judgment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think C.S. Lewis touched on, you know, if somebody's rejected Christ in this life, what 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 is there to make you think that people are going to want Christ you know, in, in, in the next life. And so God gives us to our own choices today. Mm-hmm. He values our choices uh, enough that we make today to let them have ramifications. I think one of the things that concerns me, and it's, it's, it's so interesting that this is considered an elementary mm-hmm. teaching of Christ is the surveys that I've seen, um, you know, that they've done with Christian communities as to what they believe about judgment um, salvation, even Christ is the only way, um, you know, there's just so much dilution of what seems to be clear teaching of scripture in Hebrews. When we get to chapter nine, it's going to talk about, um, as is appointed unto everyone, you know, a person to die. And after this, the judgment, the idea of a universalism, uh, you know, the, the opportunity for, uh, more chances beyond death. Like it's just not there in scripture. And that, I think that really gives value to how we live our life today. Mm. And so I think as a Christian judgment doesn't have to be thought of as this negative, horrible thing. It actually speaks of God valuing how we live our lives and his promises to those who believe in him of mm. rewards to me is just such grace. Like we don't deserve anything. And yet he says, Hey, you know, You've been faithful and the things you've done, like God is not unjust to reward us in a good way for those things. So judgment does not have to be a, a negative thing. Another another thing that came to mind was, uh, and this struck me a few years ago, in, in John chapter 16, uh, Jesus is telling his disciples about his departure. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. And he says, when he comes, he's going to convict the world of sin, mm-hmm. of righteousness and judgment. And then you look at the the preaching of the apostles in the book of Acts. What do they talk about? Sin, righteousness, 
and judgment. And so I think as we're sharing the good news with people, we do a disservice um, by not talking about the judgment, you know, not mm-hmm. in a condescending way because we ourselves, you know, like, right. you know, we've, we, we need to see ourselves as recipients of incredible grace. And so even as we speak about judgment, it's not in a condemning sort of way. It's, it's that we don't want you to experience that. God doesn't want you to experience that. that. He's made a way mm-hmm. person of Jesus Christ and your eternity can change based on uh, receiving, accepting him as your Lord and savior. So yeah, it's amazing how much is packed into these six basic Mm -hmm. elementary teachings. Hey, yeah. Mm -hmm. So much. Uh, I want to thank you guys for your contribution. We could, we could definitely keep on. Is there any sort of closing thoughts you want to make before we shut her down here? Actually, um, I'll, I'll say something very briefly and, and kind of repeating a little bit what I said to you, Tim, um, when when I first heard that we were doing a series, uh, Stanford Heights was doing a series on the book of Hebrews. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, the book of Hebrews just really started to speak to my heart and my life. And and in, and in many ways, I look at this uh, Hebrews chapter six. I'm just going to look it up here. How did that verse um starts there therefore let us leave the elementary teachings about christ and um you know when you think about the first five chapters of hebrews you've been spending so much time looking at christ at who he is his divinity his humanity the fact that he's conquered death and he's been tempted in every way that we as we are and i just um I've been so blessed, actually, as you, as you've been unpacking um, the book, looking at who is Jesus and how what he's done, uh, what we can experience in relationship with him, the glory of God as revealed in Christ, and um, everything that we've been talking about today rests on that foundation on on the foundation of mm. Jesus Christ and and who he is um so i you know just anybody obviously as you're as you're listening you're working through the book of hebrews just keep pressing in who is this jesus who is this amazing jesus that that god um has revealed himself to us in christ so anyway that's just my uh, mm. my my final two cents beautiful uh, I think that's a great place to end it. Keep keep seeking him through through scripture, and you're gonna you're gonna find he's he's gets better and better the further mm-hmm. you go as he as you encounter him there. Boy, those are great closing thoughts, guys. I, I want to really thank you for you know making space today to have this conversation, and for those of you who are watching, hey, I hope this has been helpful uh, to know and to follow Jesus better. And hey, if you maybe you're watching and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, um, we'd love to help you with that. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who are followers, if we can help in any way, uh, just message us and uh, we'll follow up with you. And, and uh, we want to move on. We want to continue mm-hmm. this journey with Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to, to grow and develop and to give God glory with our lives and everything that we're about. So. Thanks again so much, you guys. And for those of you who are watching, thanks for joining us. Thanks, you guys. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Jazzy.